Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We're going hard on the nerd meter today. We're cranking it up to 11, dealing with uh, kernels, uh, eBPF, sidecar proxies with our guest, William Morgan, who is, um, oh, CEO and founder, I believe, of uh, of Buoyant. Yeah, he's the CEO at Buoyant and Buoyant.io. And William wrote this somewhat controversial blog post that uh, eBPF can't replace sidecar proxies, Ned. Did you, uh, I, know, I know you read that article and had thoughts. I, I did. I read that article. I found myself nodding vigorously at some of the points he made, but then I read another article from a different company that had the initial perspective of why eBPF might replace it. And I was like, oh, interesting points there too. So I'm really glad we had William on to talk through those points and get a little deeper in his perspective on some of these topics. And if you're an old school nerd who has done a lot of, say, F5 load balancing work, and maybe you've written your share of TCL scripts that do layer seven header rewrites, and uh, it was all sitting on that proxy and it had to work right so you could move traffic from here to there or accomplish some esoteric function, listen to this show, because uh, this is kind of representing the new way to do all of that stuff, dealing with sidecar proxies and stuff versus the way we, uh, we used to do it. Well, we still do it. We still, the F5 still out there doing their thing, right? But, uh, but this is really the cutting edge modern way that you'd be dealing with a lot of that kind of rich application web delivery functionality. Uh, anyway, enjoy this conversation with uh, William Morgan, CEO of Buoyant. William Morgan, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Uh, you got to introduce yourself to the audience, man. Who are you and what do you do? Well, thanks. It's great to be here. So yeah, I'm William Morgan. I am the CEO of a company called Buoyant, uh, and I'm also one of the creators of Linkerd, which is a service mesh for Kubernetes. Very good. Now, you said uh, Linkerd, and that's going to come up a lot in this conversation. So would you tell us in just a few sentences what Linkerd is all about so that we have that context? Linkerd is the silver bullet that will solve all of your Kubernetes problems, no matter what they are. No, uh, no questions asked and, uh, you know, or your money back. <laughs> Does it make coffee for me too? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, Linkerd. So yeah, Linkerd is a service mesh, which, you know, is a term that you probably are sick of hearing if you're in the Kubernetes world. And I apologize for that because Linkerd was the, you know, the first service mesh and it was the one to kind of popularize that term. But the idea is that, uh, you know, when you're running an application, on Kubernetes, uh, there's a set of things you need that Kubernetes just doesn't provide. And that's not a flaw in Kubernetes. That's actually part of, I think, what made Kubernetes successful was this very clear boundary about here's what yeah. we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And so Linkerd provides those things. And those things relate by and large to the communication between the services that are running on your Kubernetes cluster. So that ranges from security features like mutual TLS to uh, kind of reliability features like uh, request level load balancing and uh, retries and timeouts uh, to observability features, you know, like uh, uh, layer seven error codes and, and, and uh, latency histograms and, and things like that. And that's kind of packaged in this way. And I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of the gory details, yeah. you know, uh, in, in this conversation, but it's packaged in a way where it's decoupled from your application. So you can, you, you kind of have this runtime binding via this mechanism called sidecars. Okay. 
Uh, another setup question that we need to discuss is EPPF. Now, we have talked about EPPF a bit before on Day 2 Club, but it's still going to be new to a lot of folks. They're probably not using any tools that have it. And conceptually, it's really gotten a lot of noise only in the last, no, oh, let's say, year, 18 months or so. Uh, so give us the overview of EPPF. Yeah, so EBPF basically is a is a uh, you know I don't want, I don't want to say new, but it's new like you said new to many uh, uh, kernel bit of kernel technology that basically allows you to run programs in kernel space. And that sounds like a terrible terrible idea because the whole point of you know the kernel is to keep stuff out of kernel space. Um, but it's a model by which you can safely run certain classes of programs, and there's lots of asterisks there within the kernel itself, which allows you to do things much more rapidly than you were ever able to do and allows you to get hooks into, you know, bits of things, especially when it comes to networking that you weren't able to access before. So a lot of the kind of processing information that was basically not really feasible for an application to get before in terms of TCP packets and stuff like that is now actually feasible to do through eBPF. Now, you mentioned a couple of things there with EPPF. One is performance, uh, and then another is uh, some limitations on what you can actually do within EPPF. So performance, now I'm, I, I'm not a kernel guy, so you know, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, my understanding is we don't have to move data between kernel space and user space to do some processing and then move it back again. And so we're, we're getting a, some transaction latency back because we can run that transaction right through the EPPF kernel program. Is that part of the performance equation? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. So, you know, if you think of the olden, the good old days, you, you know, you have syscalls, which, have, which are portable, and which have been around forever. And your application, if you wanted to process a, you know, a TCP packet, you would say, hey, kernel, you know, give me access to this packet. And the kernel, you know, go through the syscall mechanism and you get the data back. That's highly simplified. Yeah. You know, and you could do that as many times as you wanted, except that syscalls are slow. And so, in a modern system, which is processing maybe you know even tens of billions of packets a second, that wasn't really feasible to do. Now with eBPF, you can say, "Hey, kernel, run this bit of code in you know in kernel space that has access to the packets directly. Have it do the computation, and then just give me the results. Like just do the counting in the kernel, and then give me a way of of getting that number out." But the Limit, there's a limitation there. I can't just run any arbitrary code within eBPF. I've got some pretty tight guardrails on what I'm allowed to run, right? Right. That's right. So, you know, the, the, the kernel is a very sensitive, it's probably the most sensitive part of the application. And, and the kernel has, you know, it has an important job to do, which is it has to run these programs, like you're giving it programs to run and you're saying, not eBPF, like regular programs, and you're saying, run these programs, but also don't let them access each other's memory, right? And don't let them... Uh, you know, denial of service each other and don't let them mess with, you know, other programs unless they have explicit permission. So the, the, the kernel has all, all of these, you know, uh, many, many decades of kind of intensive development put into it to prevent what eBPF is now doing, like, which is load something directly into the kernel, which is, you know, which now, you know, ostensibly has access to kernel memory and you know everything about every other application so the only way that that really makes sense is you have to have a lot of um safeguards in place and in, in ebpf land and this is i think kind of what makes ebpf cool and, and and interesting regardless of its applications it's like a fun technology is uh there's a verifier so you basically compile your your program into ebpf bytecodes it's a little ebpf virtual machine 
And before that virtual machine will run any of your eBPF program, it runs it through a verifier. And the verifier checks to make sure that that program cannot do or does not do certain things. And the set of checks that it performs are, are very, you know, very restrictive, right? This is like, there's, there's, we get into like computer science, like theoretical computer science limitations and stuff um, about verify automatic verification of programs. But basically, you know, it has to err on the side of being very restrictive. So you can only execute so many instructions. Uh, you have to, the verifier has to be able to prove that your, uh, that your program will terminate. And there's all sorts of other constraints. So actually crafting an eBPF program that passes the verifier is, is non-trivial. Non-trivial, but, but necessary uh, in that, as you say, if you're running something in the kernel, the kernel has access to everything, all those containers that are in different namespaces and so on, in theory, uh, particularly nasty code, if some evil black hat hacker, William, were to get in there and write something, mm -hmm. they would have yeah. access to really any and all processes that are on the system. Therefore, the verifier becomes the necessary step to make sure that the code that is running is, uh, is safe in the context of your, your Linux system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you think about it as like, you know, runtime versus compile time, uh, you know, uh, syscalls are kind of a runtime check, right? Before the kernel allows you to get access to the packet you requested, it's going to verify that you have that access, that you, the application, you know, are authorized to do that. But that, that and that's part of what makes it slow. In eBPF land, we're going to do that at not really compile time, but, you know, at, at verification time, we're going to make sure that the eBPF program does not access any memory that is not allowed to. And we're going to make sure that it doesn't denial of service the kernel, you know, by having an infinite loop and things like that. And then once we're happy with that, once a verifier says, yes, this is a safe program, then we can just execute it, you know, as fast as, as fast as we can. All right. So with that as our foundation for this conversation, we can get into the next part. You had written an article, you posted an article on uh, your company's blog. I forget the exact yep. URL. Uh, give that to us again. It's buoyant.io and right. that's B-U-O-Y-A-N-T. It's, right. it's a regular English word, but it, it's a weird one. U before O. Or I guess sometimes we say, oh, before you accept after B. <laughs> so on the Buoyant blog, you wrote this article basically challenging the notion that eBPF could replace sidecar proxies. Um, because that's been posited out there. That's been suggested that maybe we can replace sidecar proxies with eBPF and get some performance gains and, uh, you know, and all the rest. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of why we could or couldn't, why would we even want to do this from an architectural perspective? Why would we want to use EPPF to replace sidecar proxies? Is there an advantage there for from a computing architecture perspective? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. And I think the answer, you know, this this gets into so I, I'll say and maybe I should have said this at the beginning. I'm also not an EBPF expert and I'm not a kernel expert, but I am an expert in uh, service meshes and in kind of uh, what it takes to run one, you know, in, in the context of a, a modern cloud native organization. And so a lot of what we're getting at and, you know, in, in, in this conversation is kind of the intersection between, you know, what does the technology allow us to do? What is theoretically possible with the technology? And then what is practical from like the perspective of, okay, we have some human beings who have to operate the system, right? And, that, and that, that intersection is where things get really interesting because unfortunately humans are uh, at least for the time being, an unnecessary inconvenience in our in our <laughs> software, and they have to they have to run it, you know, um, and so uh, 
with that digression, I, I have now forgotten your question. So the question is, why would we even want to go with eBPF oh, yeah. versus yeah, a sidecar yeah, yeah, proxy? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, right. You know what? So, and, and this is a great question because, you know, I, I love sidecars and I think sidecars are awesome. And, and I think they're one of the most profound gifts that Kubernetes has, has given us. But to many people, they seem strange, right? Because the way that the service mesh works, and I'll use the service mesh as an example, but there's other sidecar, you know, uh, 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 technologies that use sidecars out there. Um, but the way the service mesh works is basically we add lots of tiny proxies everywhere. We add them next to every instance of every application. So if you have a large application, if, you know, 10 services or 100 services, and each of them has 100 pods, and you end up with 10,000 proxies everywhere. And, you know, if I were to say to you, would you like to add 10,000 proxies you know, and manage them on your cluster, you say, no, like that's, you know, it's like a terrible idea. And I think even five or 10 years ago, like that would have been laughable. And so the, the magic, you know, of Kubernetes is that it actually makes that possible, right? You can actually say to a cluster, hey, give me 10,000 of these. And it gives them to you and it gives them to you in a way that, you know, you, you can basically operate on them with in, in a principled manner in the same way that you're operating uh, you know, the rest of the objects in your Kubernetes environment. Yeah, as opposed to creating and, hundreds or thousands of virtual IPs on your F5 load balancer back in the day. Right, right. Or even yeah. using, you know, uh, Chef or whatever to like deploy these things and manually. And, you know, there's all sorts of asterisks to this, of course. You know, deploying is one thing, but if those 10,000 proxies are like annoying to operate or if they keep dying or if you have to tune them a lot, then, you know, there's a big operational burden to that. So there's a lot of nuance in this and, you know, there's a whole probably another podcast we could do around uh, around what we do in Linkerd to, to minimize that operational burden. But getting back to your question, you know, it's a weird idea to people. And like it's kind of it's, in some ways it's a, it's a little uncomfortable to suddenly add 10,000, you know, proxies to your cluster and even your diagram now it's like oh i've got all these nice boxes and now i have to add a little box inside each other box you know each of these boxes so there's a resistance to that and i don't think it's i don't think that's a crazy resistance i think that's pretty that's a natural thing like yes it would be nice not to have all these proxies everywhere maybe we can just do this in the kernel right like wouldn't it be nice if those proxies could just go away right but and actually we had and this will become relevant too we actually we had a early version of linkerd that had per host proxies instead of sidecar proxies, you know, sidecar free service mesh, right? Even back in, this was 2016, 2017. Uh, and we moved away from that. We explicitly moved to sidecars for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, which I'm happy, well, which we'll probably end up going into. Um, so there's, you know, th there's other ways of putting proxies in there. The sidecar has advantages and we can get into, we can get into those details, but I understand why people would like to not, have to do that it, it I mean, does feel like we'd be cramming a lot of functionality into the kernel though for what sidecar proxies tend to offer us re relating to observability and uh, you know encrypt decrypt yeah. and you know and so on yeah oh oh yeah 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 for for sure and you know this is where i kind of feel like if you're you know if if, if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail if, if all you all you know is the kernel everything seems like a problem that should be solved in the kernel right it's like Yes, there's a lot of functionality that you would put in there, and does it belong in the kernel? I don't, I don't know. That's maybe a philosophical uh, discussion, but there's 
there is precedent, right? We used to have the, the layer three, layer four, the TCP stacks used to not be in the kernel, right? And back in the very, very olden days uh, when I was just in high school, <laughs> right? you, you'd have the, your TCP stack was like in your application. And then eventually we moved it into the kernel and like that was better, right? So there is a, there is a model, right? A historical model that, that would suggest we can take all this fancy layer seven functionality and jam it in the kernel and like have the kernel take care of it. Now we were talking earlier about efficiency performance, uh, dealing with the sidecar proxy model versus EPPF where EPPF would be more performant. Is the, is the trade-off significant enough with a sidecar proxy that from a performance perspective, we would really want to put all this into EPPF and run it all in the kernel if we could? If we could take the sidecar entirely and write it in EPPF and put it in the kernel, would the, would that be, faster, you know, pro yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be faster, you know, especially for things like, so Linkerd, which is the, the one that I'm most familiar with, there's kind of two modes of operation. You can tell Linkerd, Hey, this is HTTP traffic or gRPC traffic. And like, you know, it does a bunch of fancy stuff, but there's also, you know, there's also a mode where you say, Hey, th this is just a TCP stream. And like, don't worry about what's inside it. Typically we do this with TLS traffic, like where Linkerd, can't get anything out of it because the nature of TLS like prevents you from getting it out of it. We say, hey, just proxy this, you know, and in that case, you know, clearly doing that purely in the kernel rather than doing that, you know, in, in, in user space would be advantageous. So th there's a lot of, <laughs> there's like six different factors that go into this, you know, there's, should we do this in the kernel in the first place, right? Like eBPF or not, we could take the Linkerd proxy, we can make it a, a kernel module. Right. And we could just do it that way. Right. Then we don't have to futz around with eBPF and we have all the value of putting it in the kernel. And, you know, I think the answer is, would it speed stuff up? Yes, probably it would. Would it require a cost, you know, of, of, to do that? Uh, yes, definitely. And is that cost worth the resulting performance? Like, I don't think so, but that's certainly, you know, an argument. That's, that's probably where the argument lies. Um, and then finally, there's, uh, you know, what, what, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of details that go into what actually is feasible for us to do now and what is versus what is kind of like technically possible. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, violate the physical laws of the universe. Right. And that's that's where the nuances lie. Right. Yeah. It's a trade off, just like anything. And yeah. there's no free lunch. There's a cost to porting it into the kernel. And I'd imagine maintaining it as well, because if something's going in as a kernel module, there's a lot more um, potential security issues there yeah. just because of the level it's executing things at. Yeah. you don't have yeah. to deal with that. Um, so the question is, is all that cost worth the additional performance you get? Or can I just put a slightly faster CPU in and get the exact same performance boost without going through all that trouble? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's also the question of, you know, is this really the source of latency that is important to me in my application? And what we find is, you know, we do a lot of benchmarking of Linkerd and it's fast and, you know, it's faster than other service meshes. And we put a lot of time and energy into that. But obviously it adds latency. It adds memory consumption, adds uh, CPU consumption because you're adding these proxies. In fact, you add two of them in, in between every hop. Right. But what we find is the vast majority of the time that latency is not the, that's not the biggest source of latency by far in any of these applications, right? You're running this thing on Kubernetes, first of all, which means you're running in containers on a VM. And then, you know, you're running these applications that are written in whatever language they're written in and they're talking to a database and like the, the source of latency that comes from the service mesh is just a fraction there. So 
this almost gets to the, you know, if you're optimizing, you know, a, a program or a system as a whole, you need to focus on the low hanging fruit. And yes, you could probably optimize any of these things given enough time and energy. Is it the thing that's going to make the biggest impact? I think in the service mesh case, it's usually no. It's the application that, you know, it's probably where the latency is in practice. Reminds me of like high frequency traders. They would not, this, none of this would be good for them because they need to trade in, you know, picoseconds basically. Right. So they have like special networking gear that doesn't even go above like layer one. Like it's all just magic and they are willing to throw as much money as possible at these kind of problems. Yeah. But yeah, if you're just running a web service for, for a SaaS company, maybe it's not worth, the juice is not worth the squeeze on that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's absolutely right. Like, what do you care about as, you know, if you're running a web service, you know, uh, and, and it's like, that's what your business is built on. Well, you care about being able to ship features really quickly. You care about being able to onboard new engineers. You care about, you know, having a clear delineation of responsibilities between the teams. Those are all things that Kubernetes actually solves, right? At the expense of, right? At the expense of performance, right? That's the thing that the containers solve and the VMs solve at the expense of performance, because that's way more important for those companies. And it's very different, yeah, from the HFT folks <laughs> for whom every picosecond is dollars, right? For the for the web API folks, like every additional picosecond that it takes to release a new feature it <laughs> translates to <laughs> dollars, I guess. Yeah, what maybe. you care about is not the latency, it's whether your customers are happy with the right. experience. And yeah. maybe that's latency related, but maybe it's because your UI is terrible and you should focus on that instead. Right. <laughs> so I, taking all of that into consideration, let's assume maybe we do want to move forward because the latency is worth it or, or whatever the factor is. We do mm -hmm. want to try to move this into eBPF. From your perspective, could eBPF programs even replace sidecar proxies or is there a lot of work to do there? Yeah, so that's, you know, I think today the answer is no. You know, I think it gets fuzzier in the future. Any kind of TLS traffic cannot be handled by eBPF at all. Like, so TLS termination, all this stuff has to be done elsewhere. There is KTLS, which is in some state where it may or may not be widely spread and, and, and viable. And that opens up some opportunities for addressing that. There's the, the verifier over time, which is like kind of the big bugbear of, of eBPF has gotten better and you know, or has gotten, uh, I guess, better at accepting more types of programs. So that's another thing that could change over time. So I think, yes, it's possible uh, in, in the future. It's not inconceivable that at some point we could do that. It's really a question of like, what's the, what's the trade-off, you know, versus, for example, writing a, putting, putting the proxy as a kernel module, right? <laughs> you know, and getting it, like, it, what is the goal? Is the goal really to get it into the kernel? Right. Or, you know, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? And, and I'll say from my perspective, uh, well, I have my goal. Well, my goal is to provide a, a, an operable system to Kubernetes adopters. Right. When you are trying to run your application on Kubernetes, I want to give you the ability to secure it and to make it reliable and to make it observable in a way that does not require you to, you know, hire a team of 20 people who have to wrangle this thing. Right. So that's that's my that's my goal. And I think th seeing through that lens, you know, the the needle points all the way to sidecar, right? sidecar plus eBPF wh where we can to speed things up, but not at the expense of sacrificing operability. Right. But if you have other constraints, if you're an HFT or, you know, if you have weird things where you want to trade off operability for performance, 
then your needle, your needle might be pointing in a different direction. Now, William, in the in the blog post that uh, that you wrote, you brought up several reasons in addition to these that uh, that you think eBPF is not a non-starter for sidecar proxies, but but not going to be able to replace them entirely. Another one of those issues you mentioned was contended multi-tenancy. Why don't you share that one with us? Yeah, so this is kind of the the core, you know, thing that that makes it hard. And 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 we get into kind of this idea of like, I think the basic argument is, you know, for the foreseeable future, eBPF cannot handle the full scope of L7 traffic that the service mesh can. That's not, you know, it's not even a question of can it handle it. Just like way way far out there. Um, so that means that it needs a proxy, right? So you have to have a proxy component to handle that. And then, you know, so now the question is, okay. We're going to have, maybe we can have eBPF handle some stuff, which would be great. And that's something we're looking at actively in, in Linkerd land. But you're also going to have to have a proxy component. So where does that proxy sit? Does it sit at the sidecar level? Does it sit at the per host level? Does it sit somewhere else? Does it, do you have like a giant cluster of them in, in the middle? And that's where you get into kind of the, the, the nuances of, um, of, of the argument. But it's almost less an argument about eBPF and it's more an argument about what is the value of a sidecar proxy versus a per host proxy? Right. And, and that's where we get into con- this idea of contended multi-tenancy. And actually, I kind of alluded to it in the very beginning of our conversation. Where I was talking about what the, what the kernel's job was, right? The kernel's job is take these arbitrary applications and run them, but don't let them like interfere with each other. Don't let them steal each other's memory, read each other's memory. Don't let them do a bunch of stuff, right? And, and the kernel can't, to do that job, the kernel can't really trust any of those programs, right? Like, it's, so you're asking the kernel to do something very, very difficult, which is take a bunch of programs. You can't trust any of them, but I need you to run them, right? And if you don't run them, then like, that's a bug. And if you run them, but they mess with each other, then that's a bug, right? So, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough job. And that same situation happens to uh, any per host proxy or any proxy that has to handle traffic from multiple applications, right? Because now you have traffic coming in from, you know, if let's say you're a per host proxy, right? And you've got traffic coming in, you know, for every pod that Kubernetes has scheduled on your host, which means it's a random set of, you know, whatever random applications. That traffic coming in, you're in the exact same contended multi-tenancy situation. Some of that, you know, could be very, very noisy. Some of it could be very, uh, you know, from very low traffic, but highly critical applications. Some of it uh, could be from applications that are very security sensitive, sensitive and like any issue there is difficult. If, you, if your proxy is doing anything uh, TLS related, well, now you need to have the TLS uh, you know, key material for all of those pods sitting in memory in this one proxy. So you just get into this very difficult situation for a proxy to handle that traffic, which you avoid entirely in the sidecar world, right? Because in the sidecar world, you're basically building on top of the same kernel mechanisms that do contended multi-tenancy anyways, right? You're sitting in a container in that pod. So you have the C groups stuff all sorted out for you. And the kernel is kind of protecting that access and you have Kubernetes protecting the containers. So you just have this, uh, or protecting the pods and, and kind of giving you this operational and security model that prevents pods from interfering with each other. So you, you're basically building in the sidecar model what i like about this that you're building on top of these existing primitives as soon as you start doing traffic per host or any mechanism that involves multiple applications going through the same proxy then you have to solve that contended multi-tenancy problem yourself and it's not trivial it's not trivial at all you're arguing that um again if we move to an ebpf 
proxy function. Now we're in that per host model. Now we're fighting the fact that I've got a bunch of different resources that are contending for that. But but don't there's not a model here where we'd be running eBPF code on a per container basis or per pod basis where the kernel could still be allowed to arbitrate and control resources. Yeah, so that's that's a model that I like, actually. And that's kind of where I landed at the end of all this. I was like, hey, look, it's not eBPF versus sidecars. Unfortunately, that's what the so like that's what the marketing is out there. It's like, oh, eBPF is gonna solve the sidecar issue. Like, well, first of all, sidecar is not the issue, you know. Second of all, like it's not gonna solve it, right? <laughs> you know, where I landed at the end of this was man, eBPF does some awesome stuff, and there's no reason to make it like it's not. EBPF versus sidecars, it's EBPF and sidecars. Let's keep the sidecar model, which has all these operational benefits. And then let's offload as much of that as we can onto EBPF. And then everyone wins, right? You get the advantage of EBPF and you get to you, you get the same isolation guarantees, you know, and 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 protection against uh contended multi-tenancy that you've gotten from containers in the first place. So in that model, you're saying what code flows into a sidecar proxy, a sidecar proxy spins up or makes a call, if you will, to some eBPF bit of code yeah. to do something yeah. very efficiently and then hands yeah. it back. Yeah. So we're not asking, we're, we're not in a per node, or I'm sorry, we're not in a per host proxy model at that point. We're still in the sidecar proxy model. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Now the marketing is not as nice, right? You can't, you can't say, Hey, we're going to kill sidecars. We're going to solve the service mesh, you know, with eBPF <laughs> by destroying sidecars. But marketing advantages or disadvantages aside, this actually is a model that makes a ton of sense, right? And like for many of us, the reason we're using containers in the first place is these isolation guarantees, right? Like that's the whole, that's the whole reason why we're here and we're taking them on even though there's performance disadvantages to doing any of this, right? It's a better operational model. We can keep the same operational model. We don't have to reinvent anything um, and still get the speed up benefits of eBPF. Right, yeah, in an ideal world, maybe we'd be running all of our processes on bare metal if we could and avoid virtual machines and containers and all these abstractions. But there's a reason we created those abstractions and that's because we saw a tangible benefit to them. I'm curious, you've mentioned a few times, but I just kind of want to summarize what functions today fit really well as a practical eBPF use case and what stuff just doesn't fit in today but could fit in tomorrow? Yeah, so the stuff that works really easily with eBPF of, you know, today is anything layer three, layer four related. So, you know, I, I gave an example earlier of one of, the, one of the modes that Linkerd operates in is just, hey, this is a TLS connection. You're not going to be able to do anything with it anyway. So just proxy it through, right? Do a little bit of service discovery and proxy through. That's something that could be offloaded to the kernel entirely. Like Linkerd is not really doing any value beyond the that initial service discovery step. It's not really doing anything valuable there. Um, so that that's an obvious one. Anything that involves, uh, you know, uh, layer seven protocols, especially as we get into HTTP two, gets really hard for eBPF because there's a lot of state you have to maintain, mm. and there's a lot of friction in eBPF when you start maintaining state. It's not impossible, but it gets hard. It gets it gets really hard. So you know, uh, HTTP uses this thing called ZPack, I think, you know, it's like, it's got this whole compression and decompression things so that you're not sending like this raw text over the yeah. internet and using, you know, more bytes than you have to. Well, that requires maintaining a bunch of state in there. Uh, doing any kind of L7, you know, protocol parsing for HTTP, you know, uh, and HTTP2, especially like, there's just a lot of state you have to maintain and that's where things get hard. You can do it, right? You can, 
because <laughs> your EBPF programs can only run for a certain amount of time. You can then like take the data that they got, pull it out, and then you can like rerun them, put it, put it back in, rerun them. Right. Yeah. And, and you can kind of like have this iterative approach, but it's, it, it just gets hard, you know, and at some point, and they're hard to debug. And at some point you're like, well, okay, you're hitting a, a, a trade-off here. Yeah, why, why reinvent that particular wheel? Yeah. Right. Uh, but but at a, at lower levels, like you said, okay, so not layer seven stuff, but but L L three and four stuff, eBPF is good at that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as there's not a lot of state that has to be maintained, mm -hmm. we get some observability benefits with eBPF. Yeah, 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 you get great observability benefits, if nothing else, because you can like actually count things now in a reasonable way and report them back to the user. Right, we couldn't really do that in the syscall world because the packet, you know, too many packets, right? Now we can count arbitrary things, do it purely in eBPF. And if you're adding up a bunch of ones really, really fast, well, computers are good at that. And then you, you know, admit it back to the user. So that, that's been the biggest, I think, advantage of eBPF, eBPF at least in the, in the Kubernetes world, is you have these CNI layers that can do, you know, that kind of observability and give you these very rich maps of what's happening, at least from the layer three, layer four perspective across your network. Okay. So I might already be getting that information from my CNI. It's yeah. not necessary for me to also get that from my service mesh necessarily. Yeah. That's looking at a whole other layer where it, that it has visibility into, especially yeah. if it's establishing the MTLS connections and right. it has more visibility into the application flows. I might care about that in a totally different way. Right. Right. Now, you know, it gets a little hairy, you know, when, when you get to the point where you know, something like Linkerd is doing MTLS on both sides and what goes across the wire is encrypted. And so, you know, you have to figure out, well, where are you intercepting that traffic and stuff like that? But by and large, yeah, that's right. The, the architectural model that I have seen suggested for, you know, removing the service mesh sidecar is to have, like you kind of mentioned, that one big honk and proxy per host that mm -hmm. handles everything that eBPF can't handle today. Right. And you mentioned a couple issues with it, but there are a few other in your blog post that I just want to bring to the fore because they're, they jumped out at me as like, this is, these are problems that I've seen before if you have a monolithic app that's responsible for a lot of things. Uh, and one of them was the fault domain, and the other one was upgrades. Could you, could you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, so we ran into this pretty hard with the 1.x versions of, of Linkerd. So we started this whole service mesh, magical service mesh journey by saying, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna deploy these things per host, right? And, and and then you'll just wire up your applications to talk through them. And and it worked great for a while. And then some of our users were like, man, upgrading these things is really annoying because when I take it down, you know, <laughs> random pods across random applications get affected. And right. operating these things is really annoying because when one of my applications gets a lot of traffic, well, uh, you know, some random set of these of of the of the per node proxies get affected and some of them fall over and even figuring out what uh you know what resource requirements or, or limits to put in them is really hard right because like i don't know what's going to get scheduled there so what we realize is you know when you do this stuff per host you've decoupled it from the kubernetes model right and and the mental model of the developers and the operators of like of applications and services right so you as when you're drawing the architecture diagram of your of your system you're drawing these little boxes like service a talks to b talks to c talks to the database and it, that's how you think about things and that's how you want to upgrade 
things. That's how you want to operate them. And as soon as you have this per host component that's so sensitively tied to the traffic between these things, it's, you know, it's totally decoupled from the diagram that makes it really, really hard to operate. I thought we're supposed to decouple everything. (laughs) <laughs> or lose decouple the things that should not be coupled and keep the things that should be coupled coupled right right when you actually have a, a a very tight relationship between the proxy and the application because in olden days that proxy portion of the app would have been part of the application proper now you've right. extracted it out to make the developer's life a little bit easier but it's still the two are very much uh, you know in sync with each other right. and i think you kind of mentioned it if you're deploying it all as part of a pod hey, Kubernetes already has this resource limits thing. So you can set that limit per application, per proxy, and it helps with scheduling. If you're doing it at the node level, then you've kind of broken that model a little bit. Right, right. Even, even distributing the TLS secrets, you know, made me queasy, you know, mixing those all up into one proxy. It's like, okay, maybe, you know, you're just putting a lot of faith in that proxy, right? Because that suddenly becomes this giant security, you know, vulnerability or vector for, for attack, right? I'm Whereas getting a big target on the back of, of that proxy, because it has all of those keys, those get leaked out and you've compromised all your applications, not just one. Right, right. Yeah. And there's this interesting, you know, it's like a whole, what do they call it? The, the confused deputy problem, right? This is like a classic failure scenario for, for, for security is you have something that, that has a lot of, you know, you give it full permissions to do anything and then you trust that it's going to always do the right thing. And there's no other kind of enforcement there. So, you know, it's all, it's all doable, right? It's all solvable. And, you know, the, the kernel has solved this by having decades and decades of development over time. That's like found all these, you know, found all the weird edge cases, um, but I wouldn't want to do it. Hmm. So what do you think as we look to the future that sidecar proxies or is that service meshes look like? Do, does it look like sidecar proxies pretty much what we have today? Or do you think EBPF on its white horse is going to uh, inject itself in some way where we'll have a combo of sidecar proxies and EBPF? Yeah, I think it'll be a combo. I, I think that's, you know, EBPF is now... It's getting to the point, especially in the Kubernetes world, where it's prevalent enough, the kernel versions support enough that you can, you know, you can kind of assume that it's going to be there. And even if it's not there, if you are, if you start from the from the proxy and you say, hey, if eBPF is here, then we're going to use it. If not, we'll just fall back to doing this in user space. Then you have a model that works consistently across Kubernetes, you know, regardless of what, what the underlying Linux kernel version is. Um, so, yeah, as I look at the future, I think it continues to be sidecars because they, they just have these fundamental operational advantages. And EBPF, you know, is, is used as a mechanism when it's possible to speed stuff up, especially, you know, the layer four side of things. And if it's not possible, then we fall back to user space. And then we maintain the kind of the consistency of, hey, it works everywhere. If if your application can run on Kubernetes and like Linkerd will you know, work for it and it won't interfere with it. And, uh, and you get the same operational benefits. Um, you know, it, it feels like Kubernetes. It smells like Kubernetes. It's nothing, nothing new. It's not a new surface area that you have to go explore. And, and who ends up writing the eBPF code in this scenario? Is this the, uh, the owners of the sidecar proxy or is there an ecosystem where you can kind of pick and choose eBPF code that you'd like to include for functionality? Oh, I mean, you know, I think who who delivers it to the kernel and says, hey, please execute this. It's a proxy, you know, right. which 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 group of humans is like writing this code. You know, I would very much 
like for that not to be me. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd love to you know be able to, to harness the the many EVPF experts who are out there um, who can do things the right way, and that's this is some of the exploration that we're doing in Linkerd land now. Is like okay, let's say we wanted Linkerd to start using EVPF to speed up certain use cases. You know, can is that code out there? Can we just use it? Do we have to do it ourselves? What does the tool chain look like? You know, how do we do, you know, how do, how do we run it through the same set of integration tests and security tests and like all the other automated tests that happen in, in, in Linkerd today? You know, how do we make sure we can deliver this in a really consistent way where it doesn't matter what version of Kubernetes, as long as it's relatively recent and what, you know, the underlying cloud provider is, Linkerd will just work. So that's, that's all active uh, discovery right now. Very good. Well, William Morgan, this has been a great conversation and there, there's so many different places and directions that we could take this and maybe we'll have you back and discuss some of those in the future. In the meantime, tell folks how they can follow you. Um, your Twitter handle is the coolest, man. Tell people. <laughs> so my Twitter handle is just WM. So you can find me on, on Twitter. I, yeah. uh, I, I only got that because I worked at Twitter in the early days back, back <laughs> when you could do stuff like that. Um, and uh yeah and if you want to read the blog post it's on buoyant.io so again that's b-u-o-y-a-n-t.io and then if you search for linkerd oh, if you've never heard the word linkerd i apologize it's l-i-n-k-e-r-d mm-hmm. and the d is pronounced for special nerd reasons which i'm sure <laughs> the two of you understand oh yeah <laughs> yep so uh, the link to that blog post uh, audience, that is going to be in the show notes, which you can find at day2cloud.io or at packetpushers.net. And again, uh, follow up William on Twitter at WM. I just I just love that. So our thanks to you, William Morgan, for appearing on Day2Cloud. And uh, if you're still listening, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. You are truly a most excellent human. And in that spirit, would you do Ned and me a couple of favors? I know two favors. That's a big request, right? The first one is to share the day two cloud episodes you like with your colleagues on your blog and on social media. Many of you have done that. We really do appreciate it. Now, the other favor is to let us know what topics you want us to cover on day two cloud. Ned and I follow at day two cloud show on Twitter. And if you don't tweet, you can let us know using the form at netinthecloud.com. Finally, if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. If you are a Day2Cloud fan, you might also like Kubernetes Unpacked. That is a brand new podcast on the Packet Pushers podcast network with Michael Levan. By the time you hear this, Kubernetes Unpacked is, well, it's either still incubating in the community channel or it's graduated to its own channel, depending on how many episodes Michael's had time to produce. No matter what you find on PacketPushers.net, know that it is all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 